0: Hello and welcome to the seventh episode of Just Doing Our Archive. My name is Casey Serma,
1: And I'm Robbie Harbin. Today we're going to talk about some new topics like Supercross. We're also going to get into the coronavirus, what that's going to mean for sports coming up. And then, of course, Casey and I are going to continue trying to win you guys money with our betting picks and our daily fantasy picks. So stay tuned and let's get to it. <laughs> All right, Casey. So for the first time this weekend, we actually got into some Supercross, and so we're going to talk about that. They just had a race down in Daytona. Uh, Casey, you obviously watched it. What did you think about it?
0: Uh, It was exciting watching uh, Eli Tomac and Ken Roxon go head-to-head on that last turn going around. I mean, Supercross is just a super interesting sport because it takes so much more than just your traditional motorsports where you're just sitting in a car or if you're going on a straightaway in a drag car or whatever. They're going... Speed on dirt, and they are every part of their body is key to their bikes moving in certain directions or how they handle bumps. So it was just really exciting to see those guys push it to the absolute limit and go for the check and flag.
1: Yeah, like you mentioned, you know, there's no pit crew or anything for these guys, it's just them and their bodies putting it out on the line you know, making incredibly sharp turns. You have to go over some crazy jumps that obviously don't need to and drag car and ass race. Yeah nascar or anything like that um or drag racing but ken roxon actually led for most of that main event it seemed like until eli tomac kind of came and took it from him then took it from him in the end obviously roxon ended up finishing second which you can't be too disappointed by but he he looked like he was going to win the whole thing
0: yeah this is eli tomac's fifth win of the season and his fourth win at the daytona daytona's supercross event in his last five starts so, I mean, he definitely came out of nowhere towards the end of that race. It looked like it was Roxon the whole way. And all of a sudden, Eli Tomac comes out of nowhere and takes the checkered flag. It was just really exciting to watch him go at it with Roxon, two of the best in the class. I did a lot of research on Supercross this weekend to kind of understand what this win meant for uh, Tomac. He has a really good chance now moving up to standings to win a championship this year. It'll be really exciting to see what they can do.
1: Yeah, Roxon. Um, obviously you talked about the number of t- wins for Tomac and Roxon was looking for his fourth win this weekend, and probably would have overtaken Tomac in those 450SX point standings, but Tomac still leads, and he's actually never won a Supercross title, too. I learned so, you know, there was some some talk going into this race about whether or not it was going to be too much pressure for him, or if he could actually pull through, and of course he did, end up being Ken Roxon and then, or Ken Roxon. Sorry, it ended up, you know, still being in first place in those 450SX point standings.
0: Yeah, now overall Tomac now leads the point standings over Roxon by three and with Webb twenty-three more points back. Uh it's far from over, but uh Tomac is not buckling this season by any means. It'll just be exciting to see throughout the rest of the season where Tomac goes and if Tomac can actually win the championship this season.
1: Yeah, I agree. And now that, you know, we've both kind of gotten into supercross a little bit, maybe we'll actually pay attention to it. We'll definitely up- update you guys on whether or not Tomac ends up getting it done or not.
0: Yeah, it'll definitely be an exciting season to watch with these two top competitors in the sport going head-to-head for the rest of the year.
1: All right, Casey, let's go ahead and move on to some trade talks in the NFL, but not the ones that you guys might think. We have some possible trade talks about ESPN signing Peyton Manning and then trading for Al Michaels from NBC. What the heck would that even look like?
0: I I have absolutely no clue. I mean, I was researching this this weekend because it's just such a weird thing. You know, you see it in sports, you see it different, even coaches sometimes it's a little obscure, but coaches in sports get traded like Gruden and stuff like that. But you never hear of a major media outlet trading one of its headlining person to another media outlet. Like, what what would that look like? Would they send Booger and like a first round or a protected first round pick? I mean, honestly, like, what are you going to trade?
1: I'm thinking you trade Booger and probably cash considerations, you know, pay off some of that Booger salary. Um, I can't believe you talked about coaches getting traded and brought up Gruden and not Bill Belichick.
0: I f- completely forgot about Belichick getting traded. Yeah, from that, the that Jets to the Patriots. Yeah. After he said he wouldn't coach after, what, five days as the coach of the Jets? Yeah,
1: something like that. Yeah, I think, obviously, you know, Al Michaels and Peyton Manning would probably be a dream team for Monday Night Football, especially compared to what we had. You know, you go back a few years, and Gruden and Tarico were really good together. Obviously, Gruden was a phenomenal color commentator. Um, despite man, despite saying man, just about every other word. But you know, Al Michaels is one of the great broadcasters, announcers of all time. And if they could end up landing him for Monday Night Football, which Sunday Night Sunday Night Football is the most watched television program of the week, nearly every week during football season. So I just don't understand why NBC would even give up Al Michaels unless they got something massive in return. But you know, it's it's ESPN. What are they going to give you that that's massive in return? You're not building for the future or anything. They're not giving you some some young stud broadcaster.
0: Yeah, I don't know. Maybe, maybe you could throw in, like, uh, uh, say that ESPN would send over, I don't know, $20 million, and they send over um, Al Michaels. Maybe this is also a move for Synergy or different reasons like that, because I remember a couple of years back when uh, Mike Tirico left ESPN to go to NBC, and now he's the kind of moderator and – does all the Olympics coverage and stuff. The original goal for hiring him was to take over for Al Michaels. So if they send Al Michaels away or to ESPN, maybe that opens the door for Mike Tarico on Sunday Night Football, like they wanted all along, and it kind of works out for both companies.
1: Yeah, yeah, that could be it. But you know, darn, Al Michaels never gonna retire. It seems like
0: no, still doing it forever. I mean, <clears throat> Miracle on Ice, he called, and that was almost forty. No, that was forty years ago now. Yeah, nineteen eighty. Crazy. That was Al Michaels, and now he's still on the mic every single Sunday night, or possibly Monday night now.
1: Do you believe in miracles? Because I do, because Al Michaels is still announcing.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, He's still good, though. He's still thorough, gets to the point. Great broadcaster.
1: So do you think, let's say the new team, we have Mike Tirico and Chris Collinsworth on NBC. Do we still get a Chris Collinsworth slide in?
0: I think you can't go... Uh, through Sunday Night Football without a Chris Collinsworth slide in, he's the only one in the business that's perfected the craft.
1: But you can't go in Sunday Night Foot—you can't go on with Sunday Night Football without Al Michaels. Little, well, I think he's more valuable than a Chris Collinsworth slide in.
0: I don't know. I've, ta- I've talked to many sources about this, and they say that the Chris Collinsworth slide in is the most valuable part of that broadcast.
1: Who are, Who are those sources, Casey?
0: My friends at NBC Sports. I'm not going to re- reveal names because I don't want to put their jobs in jeopardy.
1: All right, well, since since we're getting a dead end out of Casey, it seems like on his sources, <laughs> let's go ahead. Let's move on to the XFL recap of the week where, you know, we saw Cardell Jones end up getting benched against the St. Louis Battlehawks. I believe it's because he threw an interception and has struggled these past, these past few weeks, where Casey might think it's because he's still going to the NFL. Casey, what do you think?
0: Yeah, we talked about this a little bit earlier in class, and I think that it's because he's getting that NFL contract that I thought was actually going to happen a couple of weeks ago. I really think that he's still NFL-bound. I'm, act- I'm, I'm just joking. I, it, there's no way that was a bad quarterback take. We talked a little bit about my bad quarterback takes and how if any front office wants to hear about what I think on a quarterback, they should do the exact opposite, go away. Every one of my ones turn out to be busts, so I'm just gonna stop talking about quarterbacks.
1: Yeah. So just to give you guys some insight into Casey's quarterback <laughs> takes, um, he was telling me this weekend that in that 2017 draft class with uh, Mitch Trubisky,
0: oh, you got to air it out, huh? Deshaun
1: Watson and Patrick Mahomes, you know the the NFL MVPs, Super Bowl winner Pat Mahomes, he thought that Davis Webb. Would be the best quarterback out of that class.
0: The jury's still out on if he could be the third best quarterback from that class, though.
1: Honestly, if he wins a Super Bowl as a starter, he could pass to Sean Watson probably.
0: Well, Trubisky—he's already better than Mitch Trubisky and just sitting on the bench. Exactly.
1: He doesn't have to worry about him. All right, but let's go ahead and talk about quarterback play some more in the XFL. Obviously, biggest Dallas Renegades fans over here. Phillip Nelson attempts 49 passes this week and only gets 210 yards for 4.3 yards per attempt. No touchdowns, two picks. That is the most Philip Nelson line I think you could ever create. And they 49 times throwing the ball with him and only six runs with Cameron Artis Payne, two with Lance Dunbar. I don't understand that game plan.
0: I don't either. I I, I don't really understand I know Hail Mummy's the the air raid guy. Like, he's the guy that runs the air raid offense. But when you got a quarterback like that that can't run that offense, that needs to get the ball out fast, get it downfield in an offense like that, don't run that offense. You have Cam Artis Payne, probably the best back in the league. Just feed him the ball and hope that he can go to work on the ground because you got to go away from your philosophy sometimes, especially if you're playing a borderline punter at quarterback that has no business being out there at all. I mean free Eric Dungy for all I care at this point I just don't know what they would do in their quarterback situation
1: well they did let Lance Dunbar attempt to pass and his rating was only he he threw an incompletion on his one pass and his rating was only 11 points lower than Philip Nelson this week
0: I mean honestly why don't what, free Lance Dunbar let him go let him let him air it out this weekend
1: <clears throat> tell you what the one thing I did like about the XFL this weekend is we are finally seemingly starting to get some points you had the the L.A. Wildcats beat the Vipers 41-34. Yeah, the Roughnecks beat the Dragons 32-23. We might have we might see some games in the XFL starting to go over here, Casey. It seems like some teams are starting to figure things out on offense.
0: Yeah, that's for sure. It, it, I think we all kind of anticipated after those that first week of games that we weren't going to get the finished product yet of what the XFL was going to look like year in, year out. And I think this is going to be a yearly thing because those top talent players, like, Uh, Phillips and uh, Phillip Walker and all those guys are going to be going on maybe to professional contracts and might not be in the XFL next year. So it's going to take a while every single season for these teams to really build their offense and get comfortable in games, especially with no preseason and just a couple live scrimmages. But I really think over the next couple weeks, we're going to see these offenses expand and and a lot more overs are going to be hit in the XFL.
1: Unless you're a Renegades fan, because with Philip Nelson, they're never scoring points.
0: Yeah, we're going back to 1940s football with the Renegades without Landry Jones.
1: Tournament, talking about you know, who we like to end up getting over the bubble, getting into the tournament. Um, let's go ahead and start with some of the teams that are currently in the last four in, uh, according to ESPN and Joe Lenardi. So in that, we have Stanford, Indiana, Texas, and North Carolina State.
0: That's an interesting last four UC in. State's a very interesting case for me too, because it's it's very rare that we see an ACC season like this where there's only a confirmed four teams are a hundred percent in the tournament. They would be the fifth team in, and as you said, they're the they fir- They're the last four in, so it's just tough because the Wolfpack end of the regular season blowing out Wake Forest uh, to they improved to nineteen to twelve on the season. Ten and ten in the ACC, and they only have four quad one wins, and their eight and eight and ten record against top two quads is not really anything to go call go running home about. I mean, they're an interesting team, and they could use a very big ACC tournament to kind of bump their way in. Because if they if they falter and they lose in the first or second round of that ACC tournament, I think they're out.
1: Yeah, I agree with you because I mean, obviously they had their big win just a few weeks ago. Against Duke, eighty-eight sixty-six blew them out of the water. But you know they also had some tough losses on the year. They got beat twice by North Carolina, who is the number fourteen seed in the ACC, which is crazy to say that it's North Carolina the last seed in the ACC. But that's not; those aren't losses that you need on your resume if you're North Carolina State on your on the bubble. You know I agree that they definitely need to win some games here in the ACC tournament. <clears throat> they have the winner of Wake Forest and Pitt, the twelve and thirteen seeds, so. Hopefully, they'll be able to win that game, and if they do, they get a rematch against Duke, who obviously is the number four seed currently and our pick to win the ACC uh, tournament. But North Carolina State, you know, considering they're in the last four in, you at least got to make that game close because if they get blown out by Duke, they could easily slide out. If they beat Duke, they're probably a virtual lock to make it. It really depends on that game. Obviously, they have to get past Wake Forest or Pitt, but another team I'm interested to see um, Kind of what they're able to do is Texas. They got the four seed in the Big 12, which is the Big 12 is so weird this year because you have like the three, four, five seed of Oklahoma, Texas, Texas Tech, which are kind of on the bubble altogether. But then like the sixth seed is West Virginia, but they're a lock to make the tournament already. But Texas does play Texas Tech in that first round. They're going to need some help. Um, they split the series with Texas Tech this year, lost one and one, one, which their win against Texas Tech on the row is probably their best win of the year. But they had a really bad loss and a 30-point loss to Iowa State that they were just blown out of the water. And Iowa State is not good this year. They're the ninth seed out of 10 in the Big big 12. So I think Texas really needs to beat Texas Tech again in the the tournament to solidify their spot.
0: Yeah, this is definitely a very interesting year in college basketball overall. Like you said, there's teams in here that have had some atrocious losses that in years past would pretty much kick them out of the tournament. One team that I'm very interested to see – and Lenardi notes them as like the last four in or the last four with buys. And that is Marquette. Marquette is very interesting to me because in the earlier point of the season, if you would ask me in January where Marquette stood on if they were making the tournament or not, I would say they're a Sherlock, probably going to be a seven or eight seed, maybe a little lower, maybe a little higher, but they're definitely going to make the tournament. They're not going to be in a play-in game, but they have been rough recently. They have lost the last 3 three games of their regular season and lost 6 of their last 7 games. So they're sitting at 18 and 12 on the season with an 8 and 10 mark in the Big East. Now the Big East granted is a very tough conference this year.
1: Might be the toughest in all of college this year.
0: It is. So that is that's not going to be taken lightly by the committee. But a loss to St. John's and DePaul, that's eh, rough. That's going to and especially if they go into the tournament, conference tournament and lay an egg, it's not going to look good on Marquette.
1: You know, I'm, I'm pulling for Marquette just because obviously you want some of that star power to make the NCAA tournament. Like, I think Marcus Howard is a tremendous player. I mean, he's obviously among the top players in the country, the top scorers in the country. So hopefully they can come through in the Big East tournament. Um, obviously, that's going to kind of make or break a lot of what they end up happening because Marquette plays Seton Hall in that first round. Seton Hall is obviously a good team. They're the 3 seed in the Big East. So if you can get past Seton Hall, that would be huge for Marquette. That alone would probably solidify them into it, especially because they'll play Villanova most likely in the semifinals. And if you can keep that game even just semi-close, that should be good enough with a win over Seton Hall. So that is an interesting team to
0: watch. Yeah, I think the win over Seton Hall 100% gets done because that's the one... The, the committee, I think, will be looking to see if their slide is a, like a serious slide that's not worth them getting in the tournament. But if they're able to go out there and beat a Seton Hall in the conference tournament, I think that just 100% solidifies that they'll be in the tournament.
1: One team that uh, Lenardi has in his first four out that I'm kind of interested in is Memphis, because I don't think Memphis should make it. After they lost James Wiseman, I mean, after that game that they had James Wiseman for this team was never all that good without him. Um, their best win did come against a pretty good Cincinnati team, who ended up with the number one seed in the American, and that was a sixty to forty nine win. So they really held them in check, but they lost a game to Tulsa, eighty to forty. That's crazy. They lost. They were doubled. Their points were doubled by Tulsa, and Tulsa is the three seed in the American. Given that, but I can't imagine. You know, that would be the equivalent of the Big Twelve. West Virginia getting be 80 to 40 to Oklahoma. I, I, no, those teams should be a lot closer than that. So Memphis does play ECU the first round. If they do get by ECU, which I believe they should, they'll end up getting a rematch with Tulsa. If they can show that they're a different team from that loss and kind of build on it and even beat Tulsa, then maybe put them in the conversation. But right now I think they're outside looking in.
0: And- yeah. It's a really tough thing for Memphis too. Cause I mean, early in the season, everyone was projecting them to be maybe one or two seed in the tournament. then obviously the Wiseman thing happened, and the team didn't really mesh the way that a lot of fans would have hoped, so it leaves them here. But, I mean, they do have the star power and the potential that if they were to get into the tournament and make some noise, it would would be good for college basketball. I mean, there's a lot of five-star recruits on that team that a lot of people were looking forward to seeing play this year. So I'm definitely rooting for Memphis to make in from a viewer's perspective, but I could see why the NCAA would feel a different way.
1: Yeah, then with Penny Hardaway at the coach too, that's just more name recognition, as, which you obviously want as much as you can get. Um, another team in that first four out is Wichita State. They have two pretty decent wins on the year that can kind of be considered their best win. They beat Oklahoma and they beat Memphis early on. Their worst loss though, they lost by 30 to Houston, which obviously Houston has been a great team, but man, we're just talking about these games where these teams just seemingly do not show up and it might end up killing them. You know, they do have a buy in that first round of the American. They're going to play UConn or Tulane, which a couple couple episodes back, I actually picked Wichita State to win the American. So I still think they have a shot. And if they do, then automatic bid city and they're in the clear. But, you know, if they, if they end up losing to UConn or Tulane, whichever one they end up playing, might be, might be tough for Greg Marshall.
0: So you still stick into the Shocker Shock the Nation.
1: Shocker Shock the Nation. I like it. We'll look yes, at that. I am sticking to it. In Wichita State. They're going, they're going dancing.
0: We're gonna get a T-shirt for that when we, when we expand our, our whole store and everything like that. We're gonna get a Shocker Shock the Nation shirt going for everybody.
1: We just once we get verified on Twitter, all that merchandise is coming your way.
0: Yeah, it's coming soon. It's in the works. I sent in the thing for verification on Twitter, so we're gonna have a verified Twitter account, possibly. Probably not, but you never know.
1: All right, Casey, you got any other teams you're looking at?
0: Yeah, um, I'm going to go with Rhode Island. They're in a very interesting team. The Atlantic 10, obviously, very top-loaded with Dayton, but I think Rhode Island has a really good chance to make it in. They avoided an absolute disaster on Saturday by beating UMass, which is one of the worst teams in the top 200 of college basketball teams, by one on the road on Saturday. Um They would have to, the thing with them is that they have the the credentials to make the tournament, but the only way they make the tournament is if they beat Dayton in the A-10 tourney, which did not go well for them at all this last week when they were on upset watch against Rhode Island. So I don't see that changing, but I really would like to see a possibility where Rhode Island could get an at-large bid because I do think that they have the talent to make some noise in the tournament.
1: Rhode Island gives me some bad memories of the, the NCAA tournament.
0: Yeah, they're they're always a notorious upset watch team for the tournament.
1: Well, because they a couple of years ago they played Oklahoma in that first round as I want to say a seven ten matchup and Trey Young had a had a, great. had a great game and that was his his freshman year but and only year Oklahoma but Rhode Island ended up beating them so I'm always rooting against Rhode Island now.
0: I have to it's in my blood. And, it seems like those teams like Rhode Island, Stephen F. Austin, all those weird like smaller scale Division One teams, if they make the tournament as like a 12, 11, 10 seed, whoever the, four, whoever the 3, 4, 5 is better watch out because it seems like they're always ready to make some noise.
1: And I'm automatic, automatically picking them to upset as well.
0: Oh, always, yeah. You see those guys in your 5, or t- five versus 12 matchups, you pick that 12 every single time.
1: It's like the new uh, VCU back when they had Shaka Smart. Those oh, the, yeah. always an upset. You can always count on VCU coming in.
0: Those pesky A-10 teams.
1: Yep. Yeah, those
0: A-10 teams. Those A-10 teams. You got any more upsets, you think?
1: You know what? I think I'm okay for now. I am very excited, obviously, to watch all the conference tournaments and see how different things play out. A couple other teams that I was kind of looking at are Stanford and Indiana, but I think they're a little bit better off getting in. Getting in. I think Stanford just needs to keep it close against UCLA. Indiana obviously has to beat Nebraska, which – that's easy. But then they play Penn State, so keep that game close. Maybe win it. I think those two teams should probably will probably finish inside the, the field of 68.
0: Yeah, that's a, I, I, could, I agree with that. Another team that I'm really looking at for the Big Ten perspective, a lot of people already have them written into the tournament. No problem with that at all, but Rutgers. And the only because I say that is because I am 100% not confident in any Rutgers sports team. If they go into that first round of the tournament and they, they lay a 30-point loss to any of these lower-seeded teams that they get matched up against, that is an ugly, ugly loss that I don't think the, the committee would be too forgiving of them for, especially with nine teams, possibly ten teams already 100% in. That could really hurt Rutgers, a loss like that.
1: Yeah, it could, but hey, I think they're probably going to end up losing just because Nebraska is going to go on win the whole thing for the Big Ten.
0: Get that automatic bid. How big of a crap show would that be if Nebraska, just speaking theoretically, not because we're in Nebraska or anything, if a team like that, or Northwestern even, would go and get the auto bid for the Big Ten, how much of a crap show would the committee have after that, trying to pick these teams out?
1: See, I think Nebraska's would be even more insane because they're on a (laughs) 16-game losing streak. And then to go into the Big Ten tournament win, you know, four or five of these games against some of the top teams in the country, because you're gonna have to get through, you know, a Michigan State, a Maryland a, a Rutgers, which are obviously all great teams, Wisconsin. If Nebraska if Nebraska especially I mean obviously Northwestern would be an absolute surprise. If either of those teams win the automatic big the automatic bid for the Big Ten, I I might have to retire from just doing our cop.
0: That's why they should let them play their transfers this year without costing them a year of eligibility. Even bring in Kobe King and just let's see if it'll happen. That's all that I'm saying. I would love to see. I've been, I've been waiting for so long for a team at the bottom of one of these conferences to go in and do this. Never going to happen probably, but I would love like a seven-win team on the regular season to somehow flip the switch and go in and win one of these things.
1: You know, Casey, I just think you need to hit up your sources at NBC Sports. Get, get them to push get them to push the narrative of uh, let the transfers play in the conference tournaments.
0: Yeah, I'll definitely get in touch with them. I can't, again, I cannot name them because they're my anonymous sources at NBC. And, but and because they do not exist. Well, they do exist. They work at NBC. They may be janitors. They may not be, but they do exist.
1: Breaking moose. <laughs> About COVID-19, the coronavirus. You know, obviously there's been so many implications on what might happen with sports. LeBron James came out and talked about how, you know, he doesn't want to play in an empty arena because he does it for the fans. He do, he loves doing this because of the fans. And, you know, I, I imagine a lot of athletes feel that way and love to, to have the support of the home crowd behind them. But we might get to a point where we're watching fanless games, like that Orioles, get, Orioles-White Orioles Sox game, correct? Yeah, after like, the riots. A few riots. years ago after yeah. the riots. Mm-hmm. We might get to the point where that becomes uh, an everyday thing for a little while.
0: And honestly, like if if this thing we were talking about it earlier, like if this thing stretches past like that brink of like two weeks where everyone's saying we're not going to do things for two weeks. And if it doesn't go away and they have to keep this thing, like what does honestly, what is home field advantage in the playoffs for the NHL and the NBA? Like if it gets to that point, like what's the difference of playing in a Milwaukee or say it say the Milwaukee and the Lakers make it to the finals. What's the difference in having home field advantage in that case?
1: familiarity and travel that's about it honestly that yeah like if there's nobody there I don't know what the exact stipulations will be as far as media goes because I've seen that some might let media in some might not but if we get to that point who knows but yeah the, that's literally the only thing I could even think is like obviously Giannis is going to be more familiar with the Bucks arena than with the Staples Center but it's really very very minuscule difference
0: and like, we could even get down to nit- nitpicking, like different things. I mean, free throw shooting could go down because you got a whole different backdrop behind the 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 basket. So, you,
1: do you think it'd go? Uh, percentages would drop or rise though? Because if you're an eighty percent free throw shooter, you have no one trying to distract you and stuff behind you, and it's literally just you. You think it, you think those percentages would go up or down?
0: It's a different backdrop, but I think with now that you said that with no fans there heckling you and stuff like that, I think it might stay the same because there is the variable that you're not used to shooting free throws in just an open gym in a game scenario. So I don't know. It's it's definitely interesting.
1: Because, like, a lot of athletes are obviously used to hecklers and stuff, but they can still hear them. And I'm sure that a little small part of their brain still, re- still realizes what they're saying. So that would be interesting to see if that actually happens, how how it affects free throw percentages especially. Because, obviously, on field goal percentages. That's a lot less about the crowd, a lot more about the defense and how contested you are. But free throw percentage is just you in the basket.
0: Mm-hmm. And and there's no there's no momentum swing because like usually in a in a basketball game, I mean, you say you're trailing and you get a fast break and there's a dunk, place goes wild and that fuels that team to usually go on a run. What if? There's no one going wild. You just you just slam the basketball through the hoop, and now it's tied up.
1: You really, you really got to hope that your bench got yeah your bench guys got your back and are going crazy over there.
0: Yeah, honestly, it's it's gonna be. I'm not gonna not gonna say that like it would be fun to watch this because obviously a sport that's you need the live studio audience to make it mm-hmm. interesting. But I remember what, like we talked about that Orioles game a while ago, and that was just weird. Like you know, you you hear everything. You hear the the crack of the bat echoing off every single seat in the stadium. Basically, it's just different.
1: Yeah, it's it would definitely be interesting to watch for. Um, and then like with March Madness coming up, if they don't let fans into March Madness games, imagine how different that's gonna look. You know, you're watching, you're at home, you're watching that round of sixty-four, the round of thirty-two, just no fans because those are when the best upset happens. Those are when the fans get arguably the most involved, maybe until the final four. But it's just. It's going to be weird.
0: It is. Everything about it would be Just you're going to hear player conversations you'd never hear. They're going to be probably a lot of bleeping out of different things by the sound guys. So
1: you don't even need them. I come up because everything will already catch it because it's so quiet in there.
0: And what about like when Mark Mark Jackson decides to go on a tangent about how bad of a player is playing that night? And like, say it's Pat Bev, and Pat Bev overhears Mark Jackson talking garbage about him in the announcer's booth, like right next to the court. What's going to happen then, you know?
1: You know, that's another thing. If they actually let announcers down there, if announcers would have to call the game from somewhere else, that'd be interesting to see. Because if they only restrict it to players and coaches, who knows?
0: And refs, that's literally it. Yeah,
1: Yeah, that's going to be – I just have no idea what's going to happen with this.
0: I have no idea either. I mean, we're facing the whole thing here at the university with all of the universities around the country saying they might close. But – It's really weird when it gets to the point, because it's it's all talk most of the time. And now it's getting to the point where it's it's not all talk. Like, there's serious preparations being made by some of these teams and clubs and hospitals, everything all around the country.
1: Yeah, I mean, we talk about, obviously, we're both both seniors here at UNL. You know, Midland, up in Fremont, just about 45 minutes north of here, they're closed for the week because a lady in, in Fremont contracted the coronavirus on a recent trip to the UK, I believe. So it seriously it just takes one person in your city to to shut the whole city down.
0: Yeah, it's absolutely crazy. I've not I, even with like Ebola and swine flu and everything like that when we were younger, I don't remember anything like this.
1: You know, we I was just looking up some swine flu stats the other day actually because I was curious. Did you know that one in 5 people were affected by the swine flu in the world, 20, Like, including the US 20, 20, too? Yeah, 20% of our population was infected by the swine flu.
0: I don't even remember that. I remember. I don't remember anyone getting infected by it. Yeah,
1: me either. That's crazy because th- you think about it. We were in what, like elementary or middle school at that mm-hmm. point. I think like fifth grade, sixth grade, when somewhere it happened somewhere in there, yeah. And so, in a class of twenty to twenty five kids, you know, four or five of those kids are supposed to be getting infected by swine flu. That's insane.
0: That is. I remember the the vaccine we all had to get in school, mm-hmm. and that's about it. I don't remember anyone getting it. It's crazy.
1: Yeah. All right. Well, let's go ahead and move on to the first part where Casey and I try to win you money before getting into our peg, our betting picks here soon. But go ahead and we'll start out with some daily fantasy. Of course, as usual, I'll be talking to NBA. Casey will be talking to NHL. Then we'll end it both talking about some of the XFL plays we like. So I'll go ahead. My first NBA pick is Duncan Robinson. He's not exciting to watch unless you love shooters, and he's great. But he's a small forward. He's an average-looking white guy on the Miami Heat. But over his last three games, he's averaging 29-plus fantasy points per game. He shot 7 of 11, 8 of 14, and 9 of 12 on threes. That is just insane numbers. He's third in the league in effective field goal percentage behind only, I believe, Rudy Gobert and Mitch Robinson, which is nuts. They play the Knicks and the Bulls at home. The Heat are nearly unstoppable at home. Two Two easy teams. Duncan Robinson should continue to just be on fire. Another player I like is a little bit more of an exciting shooting guard, Donovan Mitchell for the Utah Jazz. In seven of his last eight games, he's dropped 33-plus fantasy points. He's obviously still their main scoring option, and the quantity is absolutely there as long as he's making his shots. This weekend, they have the Pelicans at home and the Grizzlies at home. You can find him in about that 7800 to $8,000 range, depending on FanDuel, DraftKings, different things like that, but he's another solid play. And the last guy I'm riding with is Christian Wood, who I'm going to continue keeping on until he slows down because he has not had a game under 37 fantasy points since February 10th, nearly a full month of just major production. His salary still hasn't even topped 8000 So out of the center position, he's as good as you can get. High field goal percentage. He's going to score a lot of points. He's going to grab a lot of rebounds. He takes care of the ball fairly well for a big man. Great play, Christian Wood. He can win you a game alone nearly. Casey, who you like in the NHL?
0: Um, this week it's going to be a lot of pretty much anyone on the Avalanche or the Oilers. I mean, over the last four games for Gabriel Landeskog, he has three goals and six assists. He's just been an absolute beast. Same with Nathan McKinnon. Two goals, six assists in his last four games. I mean, that top line in Colorado is scoring like nobody's business right now. Uh, another guy that I really like on defense, Tori Krug. One goal, three assists in his last three games for the Bruins. He's typically on that top pair of defense, and he's usually out there skating with the ones all the time in Boston. So he's definitely a plug and play guy that you can expect to get maybe an assist, possibly even a goal for you on some nights. The other guy, I mean, if you're following the NHL at all, you know about Mika Zibanejad in his last three games, three game goal streak, which included a five game or a five goal game last week. Absolutely incredible. He's got no assists in this time, so don't expect him to help on anyone else's goals. But he is putting the puck in the back of the net at an incredible rate right now. Another guy uh, that I really like, a little bit of a lower salary guy, but another um, Edmonton Oiler. Ryan Nugent Hopkins continues with two goals and five assists in his last four games. He's been an absolute force for the Edmonton Oilers. He's going to be a cheaper salary guy than McDavid and Dreisaitl. So he's definitely a plug-and-play guy that you can expect to continue to score at this rate because of the guys who he plays with, and he's got the offensive capability himself. Darnell Nurse, defenseman for the Oilers, also has six assists in his last four games. I mean, when you got a team that's scoring at that high of a rate in their last couple games, you're going to have defense that's going to chip in and get assists and those little helpers that don't always show up on the TV screen, but they show up in the stat sheet and they show up in your Daily Fantasy scores. So they are definitely Darnell Nurse. You definitely need him in your lineup. Now let's move on to the goalies. Carter Hart has five wins in his last five starts, so you can expect that extra 12 points on FanDuel from him. I mean, the Flyers have been on an absolute tear. He's got a 940 save percentage, no shutouts, but he's pretty much stopping anything in his path. Another guy, Connor Halibuck, for the Winnipeg Jets, 3-1 and in his last four starts with a 964 save percentage and two shutouts. He's a guy that you can play reliably every single night and most of the time expect him to come out with the win, if not good save stats. I mean, that's what you can expect when you pay a premier goalie like that, for when you pay top salary for a premier goalie like that. But, yeah, that's, those are some of my guys that I'm really looking for this week. What do you got in the XFL, Robbie?
1: You know, Casey, I'm, again, I'm riding with one of my boys from last week, Taylor Cornelius. He just had 300 yards, two touchdowns in his last game. He did throw two picks, but if he can limit those, he can be a really good play, especially considering he's not one of the top salary quarterbacks. Um, a guy I think is an absolute must in every lineup is Cam Phillips. He has eight touchdowns in his last four games for the Houston Roughnecks. You know, P.J. Walker's obviously been balling, maybe even the XFL front runner for MVP, who knows, but he loves Cam Phillips. Cam Phillips is the number one wide receiver on what is pretty much the number one offense in the XFL, great play. In my last pick, I'm going with Cardell Jones. I think he comes off the bench. I don't know, actually. I'm going with Darrell <laughs> Presley of the D.C. <laughs> defenders. He seems to have established himself at the number one running back spot for the Defenders. He had 15 attempts for 107 yards over Donnell Pumphrey in this past week. He seems to be getting a lot more touches, being really productive with them. With a guy like Tyree Jackson, a quarterback, I think they might try to run the ball more. So I really like Darrell Presley for this week. Casey, what do you got?
0: Yeah, I'm going to stick with the DC Defenders this week cuz as we all know, they're playing our Dallas Renegades. I'm going to go with the defense that you need to play this week in the XFL, the DC Defenders. They held St. Louis last week to only 6 points on offense, a team that was pretty consistent in scoring every single game they were in up coming into last week. And they had shut them down pretty well. I can't imagine Philip Nelson does anything against this defense and the Renegades are certainly going to struggle, so a DC defenders defense is one that you absolutely need in your lineup next week. Another guy that I had early in the season as an MVP type guy for the LA Wildcats, Josh Johnson. He had an absolute crazy game this week. Four touchdowns. I mean, he's back. Josh Johnson is officially back. I'm gonna I, I know my quarterback takes, I know you're about to say it, Robbie. They are not that great but i am i'm gonna hop on the josh johnson bandwagon not saying he's going to the nfl i'm not doing anything like that that's
1: that's what i was gonna ask no no is he signing an nfl contract next week
0: no he is staying in the xfl but i think he's gonna have a really good solid second half of the season hoping against it though because uh, obviously i want the renegades to make the playoffs and i think they can when landry comes back but a team like the wildcats could certainly hurt our chances
1: all right, now it is time to move on to those betting picks. Starting with our with our lock of the week, Casey has been on fire lately. He is 5-1 on his lock of the week picks. I've recently improved to 3-3, three three, which I'm happy about. I've won my last two. Over the past two weeks, I am 5-1 in NBA picks, so I have some more NBA picks for you guys today. Let's go ahead, Casey, start us off with your lock of the week.
0: You know, Well, the part of the reason I've been five and one, as all of our listeners know, and you know, Robbie is I've been piling on the Timberwolves and I'm going to do that this week, but I'm going to pull for the Timberwolves on Friday night, the Oklahoma city thunder will not cover the spread at home against the Minnesota Timberwolves. This is a bold pick. And I, I hate going against my strategy. I mean, OKC is the best team in the league at covering, but at home they are 17-16 and 1 covering the spread. And on the road, Minnesota is 15-15 and 1 against the spread. At but at home, Minnesota is the league worst 6 and 22, part of the reason why they're at the bottom of the league against the spread. But I just have this feeling that the spread's going to be huge because Vegas knows what this game means for the spread, and it's going to be a huge margin. And I don't know, I'm just really hoping and I I have a feeling that the Minnesota Timberwolves, who have not technically let me down yet, they've been I've been right on the Timberwolves so far the last three weeks. I am picking that the Minnesota Timberwolves will cover the spread in Oklahoma City on Friday.
1: Did the Timberwolves have a home game this week?
0: No, that's that, that's that why that makes sense. Yeah, that, that's why I did not bag on the Timberwolves this week because oh. I couldn't find one.
1: I've been riding the Sacramento Kings on the road for the past couple weeks because they're one of the top teams at covering on the road, but they also do not have a road game this weekend. So I had to shift gears a bit. I'm taking the Miami Heat at home against the Chicago Bulls. Miami covers a league best 67% of the time at home. They are insanely good at home. The Bulls only cover about 46% on the road. I think the line is going to be a little steep, depending on we uh, Jimmy Butler did just suffer a toe injury, so if he plays or not. That might make the line a little steeper, but regardless, I do like the Heat at home because they are just nearly unstoppable, especially against the spread on or at home. Casey, give me a couple other games you like.
0: Uh, looking back to hockey, um, I've been also tagging on Detroit every single week, and I'm going to do it again. Detroit is going on the road to Tampa Bay. They're the league's worst team against the spread. It is going to be tough for them to cover against the Lightning on the road, but if there's any Red Wings fans out there that want to throw money on Detroit, I will tell you it'll be a very large puck line. The puck line will be huge, so it'll be very tough for Tampa to make up like a three-goal puck line against them, but I just think the talent gets them over the top, and I like Tampa against Detroit.
1: My tricky thing with NHL is I always feel like whenever I bet a game, there ends up being an empty netter. That does not go mm-hmm. my way.
0: It's tough. It's, it's a variable that you can't really count on before the game, and it always seems to bite you.
1: All right, so a couple other games I'm looking at. Like I said, I'm sticking with my NBA because I have been extremely hot over the past couple weeks. I'm taking the Atlanta Hawks at home against the Cleveland Cavaliers. The Atlanta Hawks are actually the third best team in the NBA at covering home, which is kind of crazy because they're not good. But And Cleveland is above average on the road, but they're nowhere near the Hawks at covering on the road to where the Hawks are at home. And then the other game I'm going with is the Bucks at home against the Celtics. That shouldn't be too big of a spread, actually, because obviously the Celtics have been great and they're third best at covering on the road. But on the opposite end, Milwaukee's the fourth best covering at home. I think, you know, Giannis, obviously, they just lost to the Lakers. Then he sat and they lost to the Suns. I think he's going to try to get them back on track. I think that's going to be a key game for them. So I do like the Bucs at home.
0: That's a good pick. Um, I have another one in the XFL I got this weekend. Hammer the under in the D.C., Uh, rough next game or the renegades game just absolutely hammer it you got two teams that can't score uh, just bottom line just hammer the under I don't care how low it is
1: I I believe it's 0.5
0: honestly even at that point I could see a 0-0 tie between these two inept offenses
1: all right Casey let's go ahead and move on to our favorite segment isn't an overreaction where Casey and I will be presenting each other with about three takes each and we'll tell each other whether or not it's an overreaction, kind of give us some insight into it. So I'll go ahead and start. I'll give you my first take. Casey, my first take for you is, I've mentioned both these guys already this episode, LeBron James overtook Giannis Antetokounmpo in the MVP race this weekend.
0: You know, I could, it's very tough to call this one either way because obviously LeBron LeBron's star power could win him the MVP award alone. I mean, the story, a 35-year-old, NBA player winning an MVP is is a huge story. And I could totally see that getting him there, not to mention his stats are just absolutely incredible right now. He's playing at 25.4 points per game, 7.8 rebounds per game, and a career-best 10.7 assists per game. I mean, he's got the, the LA Lakers offense ticking on all cylinders right now, so I could totally see that. But I just do not see them not giving it to Giannis in this case. I mean, Giannis is averaging... Almost thirty points per game, thirteen point eight rebounds per game, five point eight assists, and I mean, even though he just lost in L.A. to LeBron, he's just without the, him on the Milwaukee Bucks, they are not they they might be at the level that the Orlando Magic are if he was not playing the season. I just can't see them not giving it to Giannis, the, the league's best team, best player on the league's best team. But
1: if you take off if you take Giannis off the Bucks, you still have a core of Eric Bledsoe, Chris Middleton, Brooke Lopez. If you take LeBron off the Lakers, I mean, I think that team's probably worse because you have Dwight Howard, JaVale McGee, obviously Anthony Davis would be the best player left. But without LeBron on the Lakers, I think they'd probably do. They probably wouldn't even make the playoffs in the West because Anthony. It'd be like any Anthony Davis Pelicans team ever.
0: Honestly, yeah, it's just, same with the the Bucks though. I mean, Bledsoe was nothing in Phoenix. I mean, he was just a. Guy that would put up twenty points a game, and they would go on to win twenty games a season. Chris Middleton's literally the only other All Star there, and he's not on Anthony Davis's level. I don't know.
1: It's tough. It's tough to say that. I think the Lakers would be slightly worse than the Bucks without their stars.
0: Yeah, they would. They would both be competing for the eight seeds. I'm, I'm convinced that.
1: All right, Casey, what's your first take for me?
0: My first take for you, Robbie. I gave you one because I know you've been dying to talk about your team on this show. The Boston Celtics will be overtaken at the three seed by the Miami Heat before the end of the season.
1: Casey, that is not an overreaction. The Heat, only 12 games behind that one spot from the Bucks, They're coming for that one seed. I'm kidding. They're not going to get that high. But, you know, when you look at the the Eastern Conference race, that two through six uh, seed race is pretty tight. You only have seven and a half games separating among those five seeds. Right now, the Heat are only a game and a half behind the Bucks. I do like the Heat schedule coming up. They play... The Hornets, the Knicks, the Bulls, the Bucks, and then the Bulls again. So, for their next five games, those are those should be four pretty easy wins, and then the Bucks, who they are 2 0 against this year, but you can never really count on beating Giannis. Whereas the Celtics, over their next five, they have the Pacers, the Bucks, the Wizards, the Bulls, the Knicks. And then they also have the Raptors and the Nets after that, so technically for their next seven. So, I think the Heat have a little bit of an easier schedule left. Obviously, the Celtics are the better team on the road, posting a 19-12 and 12 mark to the Heats, 14-19. and 19. Both teams are phenomenal at home. So I think the Heat need to figure out how to win some road games. But, Casey, them overtaking the Celtics for that three spot is not an overreaction.
0: Yeah, especially with the way Boston's been playing lately. It's been probably a shock to a lot of Celtics fans.
1: All right, Casey, my next take for you is that the XFL, our, our love, our true passion for this show, the XFL, needs more shootouts.
0: They need any, honestly. I mean, the shootout at the end of watching that uh, L.A. Wildcats game and the Vipers game was very exciting. And it's really a lot. It, in a game like that, it's almost a shame that it does not go to overtime because that overtime is set up for even more exciting football. I mean, 10 plays combined from the inside the, what is it, 10-yard line, I think, for overtimes. I mean, it's just absolutely exciting football. I mean, just like the hockey shootout. So it would be great for the XFL to get more of those type of games. I'm sure, it draws it. It'll draw in viewers. It'll draw on new people. I mean, that the type of games like that where there's so much offense is what the XFL should be built on. And I think what the goal is is what they're trying to achieve. So, yeah, that is not an overreaction. They do need more games like that in the XFL because I'm sick and tired of watching the Renegades put up six points on offense every week.
1: With Philip Nelson, you better get used to it.
0: Though. Yeah, oh, they. I, I'm, I'm saying free Eric Dungey. I know I've been wrong about QBs. Free Eric Dungey.
1: All right, Case, what you got next?
0: All right, my next take for you, Robbie, is that the NFL free agency will be the most exciting it has been in years.
1: Not an overreaction, and there's a few reasons why. Obviously, two words, Tom Brady can't – Look up any sports media anywhere without seeing Tom Brady's name. But this is probably the best free agent quarterback class we've had in so long, which obviously quarterbacks are probably the most exciting piece of free agency. You got guys like Amari Cooper, we just talked about Frank Clark, some other superstars out there in free agency. I'm also interested to see what the CBA is going to do to this because, you know, it seems like if it does get passed, they're only going to limit one of the franchise or transition tags. So you know, if the Cowboys want to use a transition tag on a franchise tag on a guy like Dak Prescott and Amari Cooper, they'll only end up being able to do one of these after the Saturday comes through. There, so they're gonna to have to pull after the Saturday vote of the CBA comes through. So, they'll have to pull one off, which means that one of those guys might become a free agent pretty easily. So, I'm interested to see how that's gonna work out, and I'm excited for it.
0: Yeah, that's for sure. the The NFL offseason will be exciting, especially we did that show about quarterback movement last a couple weeks ago. So, I'm sure that'll be an exciting. Just overall experience to see where new quarterbacks go. Very excited about it. What do you got for me, Robbie?
1: I just want to continue talking about my favorite teams and players today, so I'm going to talk about my boy Buddy Heald. He is not going to be a Sacramento King next season.
0: No, I, I completely agree with that. He has been mismanaged this year by Luke Walton. I mean, in the month of March, he's only played 25 minutes per game. And I watched, the, obviously being a Raptors fan, I watched the game last night. And when that team needed a spark, although they did score 39 points in that fourth quarter, and that's what Walton drilled into the media afterwards. We're scoring without him. We don't need him out on the floor in that time of the game. You need a guy like that. I mean, that'd be like the Clippers not playing Lou Williams down the stretch when you need scoring off the bench. I mean, when you have guys that can score off the bench and you can, and you can sit your starters down for a couple minutes and give them a rest... That's huge. Buddy Heald has flourished in that role this year, so I completely agree that Buddy Heald will definitely take his talents next year, somewhere else next year, because he's not being utilized properly on the Kings.
1: Yeah, he's really not. Even since he moved to the bench, he's been playing phenomenal, and they are just limiting his minutes more and more, it seems like. But, you know, watching that game, they were down by three with like a minute left or something. You have the three-point contest champion sitting on the bench. Obviously, he's one of the top shooters in the league, and he's sitting on the bench. Even You could hear fans all from the, the broadcast camera yelling that you have him put him in. Mm-hmm. Luke Walton refuses. They lose the game. Not necessarily because of that, because obviously who knows what Buddy he's going to get in there to do. But it does definitely increase your chances.
0: Yeah, when you have a guy like that on your team, you play him. That's the bottom line. And I just don't understand what Luke Walton's reason for not playing him is because he is that spark plug that you can even it, they found out this was his role and this is where he can thrive as a player like that is like a jamal crawford lou williams type player off the bench and they're not using him
1: all right casey what's your last take for me
0: all right my last take for you robbie it's been a one that's been thrown around for a bunch of different talk shows things like that we might never see it happen because of traveling but the NBA needs a conference-less conference playoff bracket, meaning 1 through 16, regardless of West and East.
1: You know what, Casey? For the first time, I think, in the history of just doing our call, that is not an overreaction. Um, we went all takes with no no overreactions. But, you know, you're looking at the Eastern Conference. Right now you have the 8-seed Orlando Magic, the 7-seed Brooklyn Nets, who are both just not that exciting of teams to watch. The Nets have Spencer, Dede, Magic have Nikola Vucevic. They have some talent. But, you know, right now in the West, you have guys like the Pelicans and the Kings who'd both be above those two teams in the East, but that's leaving Zion Williamson at home, Brandon Ingram at home, Lonzo Ball at home. For the Kings, you're leaving Aaron Fox, Marvin Bagley, Buddy Heald all at home. I think... And then even the Trailblazers are currently 11th in the West, so the West definitely seems, as is, year after year to be a lot deeper than the East. So I would not mind a... uh, 16-team conference list playoff. I, I would be curious to see the logistics of it, like because right now in the regular season you play four team or four games against your division teams. I think like three against the other teams in your conference and two against the opposite conference. So I'm curious how the schedules would change, and obviously travel would be a big issue. But I would not mind the idea of a 16-team conference list playoff.
0: I think with this though, honestly, you could just play the West and the East. Like you could, they don't have to change the scheduling. It's just at the end of the year they could kind of sit back and look at one through 16 and just pick that way.
1: But then I almost feel like that would kind of skew it to potentially get more East teams in because the East is uh, worse yeah. than the West. Yeah. But obviously right now you have more West teams. in, so it's just, it's complicated.
0: Yeah. It was pretty funny this weekend. Me and my friend, uh, my roommate were actually talking about this and we were like, he was all gung ho about it. He's like, yeah, I, I, I can't believe the Celtics would end up playing the Sixers or the Pacers again. I need a new team. And then we looked at it, and that's literally who they would play even in a 16-game conference uh, finals. So there's no escaping the the Celtics-Sixers first-round matchup, no matter how you skew it.
1: Absolutely not. Unless the Heat overtake that three spot from the Celtics, then who knows?
0: I would not want to play the Sixers in the first round, though. I don't know.
1: So real quick, before we end the episode and move on to our Husker sports, we actually got an alert from ESPN from Adrian Wojnarowski saying that the NBA has a plan in place for coronavirus limiting locker room access to players, essential team personnel, and that there's going to be six to eight feet of distance between players and media while they're in the locker room. Casey, what do you think of that?
0: That is absolutely crazy. I mean, we were talking about it earlier. It it feels like today is just a breaking news day about everything coronavirus. I mean, possible school closings and NBA. I mean, it's just – it's definitely – It's real now, man. It's crazy.
1: Yeah, I couldn't imagine being a reporter and having to stand six to eight feet away from, you know, a guy like LeBron James trying to get a quote or a soundbite. Yeah, reaching out your arm as far as you can. You need to maybe Taco Fall has a career as a reporter just because of that wingspan. He can actually span it about probably five feet.
0: (laughs) Yeah, come in with your mics taped to a broomstick or something. Stick it right in their face from you know, like eight feet away. From a media perspective, it
1: actually will be really interesting
0: to see what they do. Because if you can't get your microphones close, you're going to get bad audio. You're going to get low
1: volume audio. So whether or not they do bring in something like a broom or an extender of some sort, or if they just end up boosting the audio in post, that'll definitely be interesting to see. You might see some some weirdness and sound bites coming up, with uh, especially with the NBA.
0: Yeah. It's, honestly, we talked about it earlier, it affects everything. It doesn't just affect... You don't just think, oh, they're playing an empty arena. There's so much little minuscule details that get skewed when stuff like this happens. You don't really think about it. But not even like with the media. You were just talking about, I mean, how is how are your sound bites on TV going to sound? How is this going to sound? How is this going to look? It's just, it's crazy.
1: It is crazy. But all right, let's go ahead and talk about Husker sports. And then we'll end the episode Going back to last week, we had women's basketball in the Big Ten Tournament. Lost to Michigan 81-75 first round. Probably ended their chances of making the, the big dance. Men's basketball took on Michigan and Minnesota, losing 82-58 to Michigan, 107-75 to Minnesota. Softball was in Arizona State this weekend for the Arizona State Invitational. Went 1-4 with losses to Oregon State, Wright State, Arizona State, and New Mexico State. It's a lot of states in there. But their lone win came against Lehigh in eight innings. So unlike Duke basketball, they could actually beat Lehigh. Um, baseball had a home series against Columbia where they went 3-1, and one, only giving up 3-3, three, 3-5 three, three, runs in each game. So pretty solid performances from the pitchers there. And then, of course, our favorite wrestling team was in the Big Tens, finished second behind only Iowa. An amazing showing for the Nebraska the Nebraska wrestling team. Casey, what do you think?
0: Yeah, the, honestly, our favorite team on this show, the Nebraska wrestling team, it's gonna be interesting to see. I mean, we saw them we talked about last week them going into the Big Tens with big hopes to upset some teams and to continue on this tear that they were on. And they certainly did that. And Iowa's no pushover either, as as shown by the results in the Big Ten tournament. So it'll be really interesting to see what some of these wrestlers for the University of Nebraska Lincoln can do in the big national tournament. It's gonna to be really exciting week for wrestling here
1: and i believe nebraska did qualify 10 wrestlers for the the ncaa championship so that's taking place um next thursday so we'll definitely preview that in next week's episode for you guys and then for coming up also next week we have baseball taking on wichita state in a weekend series down in wichita softball is facing northern colorado and north dakota in a few games men's and women's tennis in action Men's against Wisconsin. Women's at Indiana and at Purdue over the weekend. Men's Gymnastics is taking on a meet with Minnesota and Ohio State. And Women's Gymnastics is facing Denver for their last meet of the season preparing for the Big Ten Championships. Casey, what are you most looking forward to?
0: I'm looking forward to see if, now that baseball's gotten, uh, gotten to play some teams, maybe a little bit below its level but a lot closer competition-wise, they're not going out there and playing a Baylor or an Arizona State. That's just... A great program and not a program in transition, a program winning now. It'll be interesting to see if the baseball team can continue on its tear. And if that pitching problem really wasn't as big of a problem as it seems, if they were, the level of competition they were playing was just too much for a team in the middle of a transition period.
1: Yeah, that'll definitely be something to watch. I think softball should be pretty interesting too. They've obviously had a rocky start to the season compared to what they want. But, you know, they're back home. They're in Lincoln for the first time. I think this year they're playing Northern Colorado and North Dakota. Should be should be able to win a few of those games and should be able to put on some strong performances. So that's going to do it for this seventh episode of Just Doing Our Cobb. Remember to join us next week when we will be talking about selection Sunday after it happens, talking about filling out brackets, some sleeper teams. Also going to preview some of the NFL free agency coming up Make some more official picks like we did with those quarterbacks. And then finally, we will also talk about women's gymnastics, sort of the Big Ten Championships, wrestling going to the NCAA Championships. So make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.